religions and research world religions. So I uh, normally in the summers I go to India. So actually on June the 1st I'll be headed to, oh, do I need to put a wire on me? No. 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 Uh, on, on June the 1st I'll be headed to, to India to, to do some more research in the north. He's actually in the south, so I won't see him this year, but he comes every year for Bible lectures. His name is Roy Knight, so he's, he's a close friend of ours. And he's, he's staying with us right now. So, But yeah, so I, I teach church history, so uh, you'll, you'll uh, probably see some of my books in the, they probably have them on display or in the, uh, in the bookstore and stuff. But my, my latest book, I want to put a plug in for it, is right here. It's a big textbook on world religions. So that's my book that just came out in the fall called More Than One, An Introduction to World Religion. So I usually teach world religions about four, four or five times a year here at Pepperdine. And I also teach the upper level church history classes. So uh, I'm from New Mexico, uh, Lubbock Christian, Abilene Christian, then did my PhD in Canada at University of Calgary. Moved to Pepperdine in 2007. So look forward to meeting you guys uh, after the lecture today. But I love world religions. I got into world religions whenever I was um, actually sitting in a class in, at Lubbock Christian. I was a communications major, but I heard, um, I took a class on the book of Romans. It was a class explicit, specifically on the book of Romans. First couple of chapters of Romans, as you know, kind of delves into what about people who don't know the gospel? What about people who are not Jewish? People that are just having to understand God from things that are made. You know, that, the, those passages. And so I thought about that and thought about that. I grew up in New Mexico where there's lots of Native Americans, and I thought, you know, that's very interesting. And so I kept studying that, went to ACU and studied theology and church history, but also did my dissertation on world religions, studying uh, Taoism and Baha'i faith. Then I went to, to University of Calgary, to a secular university, and, uh, and studied comparative religion. So, so I, I'm just fast. I'm also a preacher. I'm, I'm a minister at the, I co-minister with uh, John Reed at the Hilltop University Church of Christ. You know John. Um, in, in El Segundo. So I'm one of the few uh, professors who actually does, does, is still doing ministry. Normally, the typical trajectory is preachers, when they get their PhD, they leave ministry, leave full-time ministry, and they go into it just professor stuff. But I, I kept at it pretty much the, along the way. So still, still preaching and teaching every single Sunday. So I love it, but also love world religions. And I think it's important to get people to understand a little bit about world religions. Is what we're going to do today. And um, just kind of a crash course. But also I'm going to try to make the argument that uh, we... Question? Oh, yeah. is it okay that I take a picture? Yeah, yeah, sure. Notes. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Um, you can also email me uh, and I can send you any resources or anything. Feel free to email me um, after the, after the Darren, class. Darren, people yeah. might be interested too since we are talking about unity and everything fractionating, that you are also uh, recognizing the disciples. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually ordained in the Disciples of Christ. So I was ordained in uh, 2002 uh, in the, the Disciples, whenever I was living in Canada. In Canada, the Campbellstone movement is, they recognize each other, whereas in the United States, they, especially in the South, they tend not to recognize each other, the different... But in Canada, one time I asked, because there was a disciples minister that asked me to, a disciples church that asked me to preach one time, and I did, and they asked me to be their minister, and I said, uh, you, don't, you don't understand, I'm from the Acapella Church of Christ. And they said, exactly. And I said, exactly? What do you mean, exactly? And they said, we didn't have a civil war. Mm. And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> civil war is what broke us up. 
So, uh, yeah, so anyway, I was a disciples minister for about a decade and then came down here to the States in 2007 and been in the, in the acapella churches again since, which is the, the church of my, my youth, the acapella. Although we shouldn't call them acapella anymore because the, the growing ones are actually going to inst- having instrumental service as well. So it's important to, to recognize the Church of Christ folks that are using instruments as well, isn't it? It's important to, to uh, acknowledge them. Uh, so does God love other religions? So does God love these people? So you probably have neighbors. You probably have coworkers. You probably have a granddaughter or a son who is close friends with somebody from other uh, religions. You may even have uh, somebody in your family who married a Sikh or who married, probably not a Sikh, but who married you know, a Hindu or a Jew. Um, actually, the lady at our church who does the... Uh, who is kind of the involvement minister at our church, this wonderful, wonderful lady. She's actually married to a secular Jew. He's, he's a Jewish, but he doesn't do his Judaism. He's not a believer, unfortunately, but he's a, he's a Jew. So this is in, because very close to home. Every semester here at Pepperdine, I have numerous students. This semester, I had two Baha'is. I had a couple of Hindus. Always have Jews. There's a lot of Jews that, that come to Pepperdine. Usually Muslims. I don't think I had a Muslim this semester, but lots of different world Sikhs. I had a Sikh this semester. In fact, she's I'm going to Amritsar in India. This is the, the Sikh capital. I'm going there uh, in, in June. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's amazing how all these other religions in the United States of America, they're around us. And if you just kind of open your eyes, you're going to see them. Um, world religions are all around us. So why learn about this stuff? Well, first of all, there's curiosity. Um, you also have the issue of truth. Pilate was asking Jesus once, he said, what what is truth? And I think we need to be able to talk about that because my book is called More Than One because there's this famous statement, the guy that started the comparative study of religion, his name was Max Weber, and he has this famous quotation. He says, to know one is to know none. You understand? To know one religion is to know none. In other words, you don't have anything to compare it to. If all you know is Christianity, how do you know that it's the truth? You know, somebody could have raised you as, you know, worshiping Jim Jones. And, and if that's all you've ever known, that's all you know. You worship Jim Jones. Uh, let's go to Guyana. Uh, you know, you, you have to know what's out there in order to be able to compare, in order to get a, a sense of what is truth. Do other religions have truth? Uh, is my truth true? I'm sure there's a lot of people. You, know, you guys hear all the time about people that come from non-Christian backgrounds and they discover Jesus and they, you know, I thought I knew the truth but I discovered Jesus, now I know the truth um, so Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to the Father except by me what if they don't know him what if they don't know Jesus that takes us into the realm of missiology but there's an awful lot of people that don't know much about Jesus, even in the United States uh, an awful lot of people that the only Jesus they know about is some opaque, kind of vague notion of the Western God kind of thing, especially whenever you travel around. People think of Jesus as the Western God. So, uh, but how do, how do we get through Jesus to God? So here is, here is how people historically have understood, um, you know, can, can non-believers be saved? All right, so there's three major views. First of all, There's the exclusive view. Exclusivists, they say, this is the old Catholic statement that they said for years and years. They've actually lifted that at Vatican II, but they said, outside the church, no salvation. 
you have to be a member, a baptized member of the Roman Catholic Church in order to go to heaven. Now, it's a little weird with the, when you get to the Orthodox. Catholics would kind of disagree with the Eastern Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. But outside, pretty much outside the Roman Catholic Church, no salvation. Uh, Christians, most of us Protestants have uh, adopted something like that. It is outside of the... Uh, now, you guys probably know, and I've encountered a few of these, but it's, it's something that was in my grandparents' generation, but wasn't in my generation. But Stone Campbell people that said, if you're not associated with Alexander Campbell, you're going to hell. I've always thought, even as a little kid, I thought that was preposterous. Who's this guy in the 1800s? There was another guy in the 1800s that said the same thing, and that was uh, Joseph Smith. Now, Campbell didn't say that, but after Campbell, a lot of people said that. Said, you have to know about Alexander Campbell's movement in order to go to heaven. It's like, what? I remember the first time my parents told me that Mormons thought that, and uh, you know, I don't know how true this is, but I've heard, I've heard a few Mormon people say this, not necessarily theologians. They say, Out, outside of that church, no salvation. Really? I remember the first time I heard that, I just thought that was absurd. And I was a little kid. My parents told me. Uh, we were on a long car trip, and I remember my brother said to my parents, he said, Mom, Dad, there's a, one of my buddies at school, his name's Eric. And, uh, and he said that if you're not a Mormon, you can't go to heaven. And I remember just going, what? I, I didn't know that Church of Christ people folk, folks thought that. I, I grew up in the Church of Christ, but I didn't hear that. So that was new to me. But it's interesting that Campbell and Joseph Smith were actually competitors. Um, Joseph Smith, his, his main theologian, this guy named Sidney Rigdon, he stole him from Alexander Campbell. Did you guys know that? The Mormons' top theologian, their main theologian that Joseph Smith always turned to to write their theology, was recruited from the Campbellites. Sidney Rigdon. It's a fascinating story. Sidney Rigdon switched, switched from the Campbellites to the Mormons. He became a big deal in the Mormon church until, uh, until Joseph Smith was murdered and um, Brigham Young rose up and, and uh, Sidney Rigdon challenged him for the leadership of the Mormon church. And of course, as we all know, Brigham Young won and Sidney Rigdon uh, ended up upset, but ended up serving a smaller Mormon sect. But anyway, fasc fascinating stuff. But, so that's exclusivist, people that say outside of our movement, there's no salvation. Inclusive, inclusivists are people that say, we, we believe we're saved, but other people can also be saved. Um, we, we think other people can also be saved. Why? Because God is a God of uh, grace that lots of people have never had the chance to know Jesus. For example, people, Native Americans, they, they never had a chance, you know, before Jesus. Native Americans before Jesus. Anybody before Jesus, for that matter. You know, does, does God save people that don't have a cognizant awareness of Jesus Christ? Well, the way I like to put it is that there's, there's three groups of people that cannot know Jesus. People that were born and died before Jesus ever lived. They can't know Jesus, right? People that are geographically distinct from Jesus. So people that, like I said, Native Americans, they're in a totally different continent. Unless somebody had a little canoe to go all the way from, you know, the Middle East to the Americas. And then the third is people that are intellectually uh, un uh, unable to know Jesus, so people that are mentally handicapped or uh, babies who die. Um, they, obviously, a baby who dies can't know Jesus. What happens to that baby? You know, do they? So there's three groups that it's impossible for them to know Jesus. People that are outside of Jesus, 
geographically, people that are before Jesus chronologically, and then people that have no access to Jesus intellectually. So that's where an inclusivist would say, well, obviously God's going to, God's, well, now you'll get some people that will say, well, they're all just going to hell. These are, these are the Calvinist crowd, that they say they're, they've been preordained, they've been predestined. They existed to go to hell. That's why they existed. Just they, they live and then they die and they go to hell. They have no option. God, and it's basically this high sovereignty of God. God can do what God wants. God created them. They go to hell. So I can't buy that. I can't believe that. So um, then you have pluralists. These are people that say there, there's many paths to the top of Mount Fuji. These are people that say there's lots of ways to get to God. Uh, you know, it kind of depends on where you're born um, and if you're sincere about it. Uh, think about where you are, though. I'm not saying that one of these is right. How would I know? <laughs> uh, but, but these are kind of the three, the three scholarly understandings of what to think about non-Christian. Do you think that uh, they're outside, or do you think, well, it's possible, or do you think, no, there's many ways to get to your, your salvation? Okay, so does God love other religions? Um, oh, I went the wrong way. Sorry. Yeah. It's like, wait, I said that already. Yeah, I was just going to make a comment on the where I'm come from. There are a lot of primitive Baptists, and okay. they would fall. Um, they're certainly Calvinists, but most of them have the viewpoint that if you're chosen of God, you'll go to heaven. And, yeah, and your circumstances here on earth are irrelevant, so it doesn't matter if you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, Jesus or not. So I guess in there, it's almost like a fourth small view, but that it's not Calvinistic in the sense that you're just going to hell because you've never heard of Jesus. Uh -huh. um, if you're chosen of God, it doesn't matter if you're brought up in Hinduism. Riyadh, you know, as <clears throat> yeah. a Muslim. Yeah. That's just the circumstances of your yeah. of your life. So. Yeah, I'm trying to think, where would that fit in? It, it kind of fits into all like three a in a weird way. Kind yeah, of. maybe a fourth, but, but yeah, you but can sort of stuff it into minority view. view. Uh, mm -hmm. But the primitive Baptists do hold that. Yeah. Basically. Uh huh. Yeah. Because well, I think in all three are the same thing, because God, Jesus, God is God of living, not God of death. Mm. And all these things have only one thing in common: He's trying to motivate, modify your behavior or motivation. Mm -hmm. They accomplish the same thing because. You do whatever it is, we all do for ourselves. If you like that one, because you really think that's good for you. Mm -hmm. Nobody chooses a religion that is bad for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, you do it because, but we Christians like to say, we choose something because we're more noble than our neighbors. Yeah. That is a tragedy. And yeah. that's why many people burn out because they think that they're more noble than their Indian brothers. Yeah. I, I think they're all the same thing. Okay, yeah, that's, I haven't heard that before. That's, a, that's an interesting take on it. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's talk about world religions. So sometimes when people um, hear that I teach world religions, they're like, why don't you teach Christianity? I said, well, I do, <laughs> I do teach Christianity. But uh, I, think it's, I think it's really important to understand world religions. This is something that, that I uh, believe, and I said a lot about it earlier on in this class, about to know one is to know none. You have to have some sort of spectrum of comparison. Um, but also just to love your neighbor, because your neighbor is very often going to be of a, another religious tradition. 
Jesus doesn't say, you know, love your Christian neighbors and hate your non-Christian neighbor. You know, it's all love your neighbor, whoever that is. So here's my syllabus. I know this is a lengthy reading, but I think it'll give you a sense of my orientation when it comes to religion. Understanding the beliefs, texts, rituals, and worldviews of our fellow humans opens up potential for good relations. It's our duty to understand people of other faiths so that we can dialogue, share, and ultimately improve our human communities. It's part of the Christian narrative that we extend basic human dignity and goodwill to all our neighbors, serving them in the name of Christ. By engaging other faiths, we create room for bearing Christian witness. My book. Listen who it's dedicated to. This book is dedicated to Rabbi Levi, Rabbi Sholom, their precious families, and all the wonderful people, the Malibu Chabad. You've treated me, my family, and my students with such respect and kindness. I'm deeply grateful for your friendship as well as your openness to people of all faiths. It's a privilege to call you my friends. So I have deep, lasting, many years long friendships with Hindus, Sikhs, Jews, Buddhists, Taoists, Baha'i faith. This is important for me to have those friendships because they, they're, they're very different than Christian friendships. They have different uh, beliefs and all that. But it's also important for me to realize that I can't just uh, limit my love and my friendship to Christians. So we're going to go through kind of a crash course of what the world looks like when it comes to religion. So first of all, here's the world by the numbers. The best prediction for religion is geography. The world is kind of organized into different cultural blocks. So there's basically uh, eight cultural blocks uh, in the world. This is North America, Latin America, and the Caribbean. You have Eastern Europe, Western Europe. You have Africa, Asia, and you have the Middle East, and you have Oceania. So those are basically the, the world's eight cultural blocks. The world population is around 8 billion. World median age is around the world. If you, you know, did a median of the, the age, it's around 28 years. Uh, world life expectancy is around 66 years. So if you're above 66, good on you. Um, fertility rate. Each woman has 2.6 children. Yeah, obviously you, you have to, uh, yeah, you, a lot of people chuckle. My students chuckle out of that. They're like, how does a woman have 2.6 children? <laughs> anyway, it's, a, it's, it's an average. One is very short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's my daughter. She's 0. 0.6. Here's my other kid. <laughs> so here's, the, so the, here's where the people, so if you want to be a missionary, uh, Brother Roy, uh, is in the right place. Oh, well over half the world's population is in Asia. Um, yeah, that's where we need to be doing mission work, I think, is in Asia, because that's uh, one of the least Christianized parts of the world, too. Um, by the way, of the world's eight cultural blocks, Christianity is the largest religion in six of them. So the only two where Christianity is not the largest religion is in Asia, where Christianity is about 10% of Asia, but then also in the Middle East, which Christianity, of course, comes from there. Uh, but Islam dominates the Middle East, of course. Uh, but you have Africa. Africa has the most Christians in the world. Africa has more Christians than any other culture block in the world. Latin America uh, actually has the second most Christians of any place in the world. Um, interestingly, Africa leapfrogged, uh, Latin, Africa leapfrogged Latin America about last year for having the most Christians in the world. You know where, this is a kind of beside the point, but you know which country now has, as of last week, has the most people in the world? 
India. India. It, it, it passed China last week. According to the UN, they have these clocks, and, and, but the, India is now the, officially the most populated country in the whole world. And so anyway, you see the rest here. The other ones are kind of about the same. You have Middle East with 380 million, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, and, uh, and, and oh, I, 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 as I was arranging this, I screwed up here, but it should have been North America, then Eastern Europe, and then Oceania is just the uh, Australia, New Zealand, and the Pacific Islands, Melanesia, Micronesia, and Polynesia. Um, fertility rates, this is crucial because fertility rates determine the future of religion in the world. People don't convert very often, by the way. About 99% of the world's humans will, they will have the religion of their parents. So that's kind of a striking statistic. So there's not a whole lot of conversion going on, but uh, there's a whole lot of fertility going on. So um, where you want to know where religion's going to grow, you look, at, um, you, you look at fertility rates. So for example, uh, Nigeria this century will pass the United States in terms of population. Nigeria will pass the United States because of its fertility rate. So that seems hard to believe, but it's uh, it, it's absolutely going to happen. I mean, the, yeah. So you look at uh, Africa has by far the highest fertility rate in the world. Every African woman is going to have four children uh, on average. Uh, just a, about 20 years ago, it was five. It's 4.72. It, actually, in 2010, it was 4.72. So it's come down a little bit the fertility rate. Middle East has a good, robust fertility rate. So does Asia, uh, Oceania, but uh, Latin America, about replacement level. So when it says 2.05, that means a mom and dad have two kids. All right, look what's happening in Eastern Europe. A mom and dad have one and a half kids. So the population is in decline in Eastern Europe. And it has the problem of people emigrating out of Eastern Europe. So here's the world religions. Christianity is about 33% of the world. Uh, Islam is about 22%. And then, and then you have the, the, the only significant religions in the world. People are always talking about how diverse the world is. Yeah, I mean, it's diverse in a sense, but not in a huge sense. Because you have Christianity at 33, Islam at 22, Hinduism at 13, and then Buddhism at 7. And then after that, it's, uh, you know, it, it's tiny. Now, that's actually... Point, Judaism is 0.2. So Judaism is a fifth of 1%. So why do we always talk about Judaism? Well, because it gave birth to Christianity and Islam. The Abrahamic religion. So uh, Christianity and Islam, over half the world is Christian or Muslim. I think that's interesting. Over half the world is Christian or Muslim. What they say is the 21st century, the battleground of religions between Christianity and Islam Islam is predicted to surpass Christianity around the year 2070. So around the year 2070, Islam, based on fertility rates, Islam should be the largest religion in the world. Um, so these are just some comparisons. Look at uh, Christianity. You have Catholics, uh, we can say in first place, Protestants, which have only been around a quarter of the time, but they're catching up, aren't they? And then you have the Eastern Orthodox, which is in Eastern Europe. Which, uh, as I just showed you, the fertility rates are in, in big decline. Um, Islam. Islam is a force to be reckoned with. And like I said, it'll, it should pass Christianity uh, this, this century. And look at these. The Baha'i faith. You hear a lot about Baha'i faith. It's 8 million, but compare that to the Mormons, which is 17 million. 
So it's interesting, of all those religions that came out of the United States in the 1800s, you have the Camelites, you have the Seventh-day Adventists, you have the Christian Science, you have the Jehovah's Witness, you have the Mormons, you have a whole bunch of them that, that were competing with Campbell and those guys. The guys who came out on top in that big was the Mormons. The Mormons put, put us, our movement, to shame, and they're growing like crazy. Yeah. I, I, I assume in these numbers, that, but there's no way to differentiate practitioners from status, like for instance, yeah, th this uh, is an orthodox 300 million people. Is that 300 million practicing yeah. orthodox or that my family's orthodox? It, it's it's self-identification. Okay, yeah. Self-identification. Now the orthodox, you know, you the, the orthodox, we get a lot of orthodox, we get some orthodox students here. Here in America, they're hardcore. I just had a student that converted his dad's actually a Church of Christ preacher here in California, but he converted to uh, or Antiochian Orthodoxy this past semester. Mm -hmm. And they do the fasting. You know, some of those Orthodox groups fast more days than they don't fast. Yeah, so the, the one where I'm, the, the church where I'm in Montgomery, it's, it's sort of a closed-knit community. And the, it's, the Russian Orthodox? Are, it's Greek. Greek Orthodox, yeah. Services are still primarily in Greek. And, yeah, yeah. And so All right. you're not really... They're not going to knock on your door and ask you if you. That's want. right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of an ethnic thing. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of an ethnic thing. And a lot of religions are ethnic, mm -hmm. kind of in nature. Religions born in India, about 1.3 billion people come from these religions: Hindus, which is huge, and then Buddhists, and Sikhs. It's interesting to me, Sikhs and, and Jains, that the Hindus are they're basically confined to India. You have a few Hindu groups, like in. Um, Bali, Nepal, Nepal has a bunch of Hindus, but, but I mean the lion's share of the world's Hindus are, and Nepal's connected to India, so the lion's share of the world's Hindus are in that one country that makes it the third largest religion in the world, because there's you know, something like 1.4 billion people in, in India. Chinese religions, you have Confucianism, Taoism, and folk religion, and then you have what people are calling tribal religions. These are basically people that haven't joined the world religions. What we think as social scientists, we think that in time, these little tiny tribal religions are going to eventually join the major world religions. I just want to show you some texts here. So this will be interesting for you. Um, this is the Kojiki. This is the text of Shintos. This is the religion of Japan. So the Kojiki are the... This is, so I, I keep the texts of all the major world religions. Okay? And this is the, the Japanese great text. This is interesting. Any of you know what religion this is? The Chumash. The Chumash. And Jack, don't let the cat out of the bag if you know. You know? Okay. <laughs> Chumash. This was given to me by Rabbi Levi. This is the Torah. But this is what Orthodox Jews use. They don't call it, I mean, they say Torah, but when, you, when they hand you uh, a Torah like this, this is what they use in their worship services. It's actually called the Chumash. Which I was confused by that because Chumash is the Indians of Southern California. <laughs> the Native Americans of Southern California, literally, it's the exact same spelling. The Chumash Indians. But Jews all over the world, Orthodox Jews, you know, uh, faithful Jews, they, they call this Chumash, their, their Torah. But if you notice, it kind of looks weird. Uh, you know, how do you open it? You know, it, uh, yeah, so you... <laughs> you know, it, it reads like this. So you guys know that Hebrew reads right to left. So it just looks funny on the bookshelf because it, it, 
is always kind of a, an annoyance because you have to put it in there the wrong way. Okay, these are the teachings of the Sikhs, the Sikh gurus. All right. Um, the, the, the Sikhs, I don't know. You ought to go to a Sikh service. They're amazing people. They're very friendly, very welcoming. Um, you have... What country primarily? India. This is on the... Yeah, it used to be Pakistan, but then there was a partition in 1948, so they all came over into India. But India-Pakistan border area is where they are. Quran. This is the Quran. You guys will probably uh, easily get a copy of this if you visit a mosque and ask for one. Uh, most religions are not evangelistic. Most religions are not trying to convert you. But Muslims are. Christians are. And Buddhists used to be. <laughs> Buddhists, uh, the Dalai Lama has basically issued kind of a moratorium on, on, uh, on missions. He said... Uh, the, the way he's putting it is he's saying uh, proselytization is, um, what does he say? It's like, I forget the word he uses. It's like dead. We, we don't proselytize anymore. It's like from a bygone era. So Buddhism is probably going to shrink. Because the churches that grow are the churches that knock doors. Case in point, Mormonism. Yeah, they're, they're growing. Uh, Bhagavad Gita, this is the text of... Um, Hindus. Tao Te Ching, I had to study this. My master's thesis was on Taoism. This is the Tao Te Ching. Wonderful read. It's a short read. You can read it in a couple of hours. It's beautiful. The Analects of Confucius. This is Confucianism, which is in China. Kind of wisdom literature. And then you have the Hadith, which this is the other part of Islam. that you, You've heard of the Quran, but Muslims don't just follow the Quran. You think they do because they talk about that all the time. But any, the Quran's hard to understand. The Quran is difficult. It, it's not, you, you read the Bible and you can make sense of it. You can't with the Quran. It's kind of like reading, you know, like some hardcore prophecy book in the, in the Old Testament, like trying to make sense of Obadiah. You're like, well, what's he talking about? The Quran is like that. And so what they have is they have the Hadith, which is how Prophet Muhammad lived. So you look at how Muhammad lived in order to understand Islam. So, okay, I just wanted to share with you some of my, some of my books there. Islam has five pillars. You have the Shahada, there's no God but God. Muhammad is the prophet of God. That's the Shahada, that's the statement of faith. You have Salat, Muslims pray five times a day. And I'll literally have students that say, uh, Professor, at the first week of the class, they'll say, uh, I'm gonna have to pray, I'm a Muslim. So, yeah, sure, you can t we'll take a break. We'll have a class, we'll take a break at at, at 12 o'clock and you can, you can go do your prayers. So, so you talk about people who live it. I've had numerous Muslims through the years, especially when I lived in Canada, uh, that they have to leave class. So yeah, it's, it, it, Muslims are, Muslims are, they practice, man. Uh, zakat is the giving of alms. You have to give alms as a Muslim. And then Saum, this is obligatory fasting during Ramadan. And then you have the Hajj. The Hajj involves a whole, it's whenever you see on TV, they're all circulating around the Kaaba in uh, Mecca, in Saudi Arabia. And so they do all these different things here. And they slaughter a sheep or goat, they kiss the black stone, they do seven circles around the Kaaba, they visit Medina where Muhammad is buried, they throw stones at these pillars which represent Satan. And then if you do all this, you're called a Haji. And if you die on the, the Hajj, then you automatically go to heaven because during Hajj, they say that God closes the gates of hell. 
So if you die during your Hajj pilgrimage, you, you, you automatically go to heaven. Quran. So the word Quran means recitation. It's the reciting. So they claim that there's a book in the, in the heavens. It's actually in Arabic. They, they say God speaks Arabic. That's why whenever you convert to Islam, you learn Arabic. In Christianity, we give you the Bible in your language. In Islam, you learn, you learn Arabic. So it's kind of the opposite. Um, it's a small, relatively small book, about the size of the New Testament. Um, the arrangement is uh, kind of all over the place because you just simply have long ones first and short ones later. Um, and then Muslims, can, you cannot have depictions of people or animals. Anyway, so where their art, Muslim art, is either mathematical designs or it is, uh, uh, sometimes they'll have plants like flowers and things. Um, but then the main thing is calligraphy. They use calligraphy of the Quran as their decorations. You ever look at something like the Taj Mahal in India? If you look closely, it's, it's decorated, but if you look closely, it's actually Quranic calligraphy all over it. Um, and then somebody who, they actually have people who memorize the Quran. Do you know of anyone who's memorized the New Testament? They have tens of thousands of people all the time. In fact, they have like an American Idol type of thing, except it's in the Islamic world where they recite the Quran, but they have thousands of people that memorize the whole thing. Yeah. And Nigeria children are taught to memorize the Quran from as young as two, and that's so... As soon as they start talking. Majority of Nigerian Muslims have memorized the Quran. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, whenever a baby is born, you take the baby you pull in Islam, and you pull the baby up to your face and you say, there's no God but God, Muhammad is the prophet of God. He's born, and then as you're dying, and after you die, they, they go into your ear. There's no God but God. Muhammad is the prophet of God. That's the last thing you, the first thing you hear, and the last thing you hear. So they, you know, they, they are extremely active. Muslims are extremely active in their faith, uh, by and large, on, on, on average. Muhammad is the, the, the great uh, prophet. He lived in the 570s to 632, and they revere him as the last prophet. So there will be no more prophets after him, they claim. Um, of course, in Christianity, we hope that he, he was not a prophet, but, it, but, we, um, but in Islam, Islam gets really mad if a religion comes along and claims that a prophet has come. So, for example, this is the big issue with the fallout between Muslims and Baha'i faith, because the Baha'i faith comes out of Iran, and they claim that, um, they, they claim that they, the Bab and then Baha'u'llah, they claim were prophets. And so that's why they're always so persecuted in, in Iran. So um, you probably know some Baha'i faith people, but, but don't know, but don't, you may not realize it, but I'm sure you probably know some. Uh, hadith, so that's what I told you earlier. The Hadith, these are how Muhammad lived. So a lot of times, because the Quran is difficult, they just say, well, here's a collection of observations of people that described how Muhammad lived. Muslims also consider Jesus. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, they, they consider Jesus kind of the second best. I mean, they consider, they love Jesus. Muslims, this is the thing about Muslims. You can make friends with Muslims and they will be, they, they want to convert you, of course, just like we want to convert them. But they are, it, it's kind of weird because we look at Muslims and we just say, no, 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 no. They look at us and say, oh yeah, yeah, you guys are awesome. You're just missing a little bit more. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a kind of an unfortunate situation that they love us and they love our, not, not, I don't want to say us, they, but they love the, our religion. They, they have no problem with except what we've done with Jesus. 
They think you guys have really goofed up with Jesus. He's not God. He's a prophet. But we look at their prophet and we don't extend that same uh, respect towards Muhammad. I mean, I'm sorry, I can't respect him the way they respect Jesus. I, I, I can never respect Muhammad the way that Muslims respect Jesus. That's, um, yeah, that, that's, that would be very, very difficult for a Christian to, to revere Muhammad to that level. And you know, the, the Trinity just doesn't calculate. Doesn't resonate. Yeah, they, they just well, it's it's explicitly forbidden in the Quran, right. and those are passages that are clear as a bell. You know, a lot of the Quran is difficult, but it condemns the Trinity big right. time. Yeah. And what is the distinction between Islam and Muslim? Islam is the name of the religion. A Muslim is a person who practices Islam. Okay. So Christianity is our religion. A Christian is somebody who practices Christianity. So Islam is a religion, Muslim is the, the practitioner. Yeah. I'm curious to know, um, what, what would be the um, factor that would hinder maybe you from respecting Muhammad as the Muslims respect Jesus, or revering Muhammad as the Muslims revere Jesus? Yeah, all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, he, he condemns the, the, the deity of Jesus. Yeah, he was a, he was a warrior. He believed that um, <coughs> he believed that polytheists deserve death, but Jesus preaches a religion of love that you love even your enemies. But Muhammad doesn't doesn't preach. He, Muhammad is a warrior. That's what made him famous. Mm -hmm. He went into battle. You know, they killed Jewish communities and they killed caravans. They raided the caravans that were coming by. He was a brilliant warrior. That's why he became who he became. Uh, but also, I. I um, I can't believe that there's kind of this, this third testament, kind of this third covenant. You have the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then kind of this third covenant. I, I can't, I can't buy that. So, and it's it's difficult for us now. Of course, we do respect, you know, warriors like Joshua. I mean, he was a he killed a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about those Old Testament guys that just would wipe out cities and things. David and these guys. So we. We have that, but the way we think about it in Christianity, of course, is that something changed when Jesus came. That sort of God's motives were revealed. So, um, but yeah, so uh, uh, there's a number of things, and just the, the he doesn't recognize the, uh, Muhammad did not recognize the crucifixion. And of course, if he didn't recognize the crucifixion, he didn't recognize the resurrection. So, you know, if you, I can't, I can't agree that Jesus was never crucified. Jesus never rose from the dead. I can't. I can't accept that. And so, have yeah. You, have you had a student that would challenge you, you very much, so that you can't even continue? <laughs> like challenge my Christian views? Yeah. No. Rarely. Rarely. Yeah, rarely. Yeah, because I, they realize that I'm an expert, and they're just coming out of high school. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the thing. I've had a few that are that you know. Sometimes you'll get a student who's arrogant that things say no, but you know how it is that your parents become smarter as you age. So, uh, but usually throughout the course, uh, maybe on the first third of the class, they'll challenge me a little bit, but by the, you get to the end of the semester, they're like, okay, this, this guy knows more than I know. Um, yeah. Um, so Hinduism, and I'm gonna blow through this because I really want to get to the end. So what time is on your phone? What does it say? I've got five minutes. Or you can go okay, as so we got six minutes left, so I'm gonna, let me just blow through this. So Hinduism, 
third largest religion. Hinduism is, is, is they're in India. That's where they are, basically. They believe in reincarnation. They, reincarnation, for us, seems like a good idea. We're like, oh, man, that'd be awesome if I got reincarnated. That'd be, life is good, you know. Uh, they don't think of life that way. They think of uh, these eternal lives as kind of a burden. And so they want to achieve what they call moksha, which is release. They want to get off of this wheel of rebirth. Karma, uh, people misunderstand karma all the time. In fact, Taylor Swift has a ridiculous song. It sounds nice, but the lyrics are ridiculous, called Karma right now. It has nothing to do with karma, but she has a song called Karma out right now. I bet you know that song, right? Karma from Taylor Swift? You, you know that? Yeah. I just, I just heard it recently. It's a nice sounding song, but I was listening to the ear, lyrics. You know, karma is the wind in my hair and stuff. Like karma is not the wind in your hair. But, um, but sometimes people describe karma as sin. Um, karma is, you've heard of people say good karma. There's really no such thing as good karma. Karma is bad. Uh, you, you don't want to accrue karma. Caste. Hindus have this, con this concept. You guys know about this called caste. They have the Brahmins, who are the teachers of the society. They have the Kshatriyas, who's the warriors. The Vaishyas, who's the merchants. And they have the Shudras, who are the, the, the workers. And then they have something called Dalits. These are people that are outcasted out of the system. So they have a place for the Brahmins as the head. The Kshatriyas, the arms. These are the, the leaders, the politicians. stuff. Vaishyas are the legs of the society. These are the business people that keep the society running. Then you have the feet. These are the, the, the low-down workers of the society. But then you have something called Dalits, or outcasts. That, and there's a lot of about 20% of India, and they're, they're considered polluting. They pollute you. And you're being reborn all the time throughout the system. You can be reborn as an animal, even an insect. Um, but uh, yeah, this is, this is a big deal in, in, uh, in Hinduism. Buddhism, you find Buddhism in these countries, Thailand. This is basically Southeast Asia and China. China has a lot of Buddhists. Buddha is not his name. Buddha is a title, kind of like Christ. Christ is not his last name, uh, which is a big surprise to a lot of my students whenever I tell them that. They're like, oh, really? I thought it was like Smith. No, Christ is a title. Just like Buddha is a title, it means you're enlightened. You achieved uh, nirvana. You achieved moksha, basically. So um, his name was actually Siddhartha Gautama, about 400 million in the world. Here's the teachings of Buddhism. You have, uh, they deny a creator. They deny an individual soul. And here's what they teach. They teach a Four Noble Truths. This is at the core of Buddhism. Buddhism is all about stopping your suffering. That's why a lot of people, even in the Pepperdine uh, echo chamber, a lot of people are teaching Buddhism because it's how to stop suffering. And as we know, so many Gen Xers and millennials, they, they, their lives are suffering. You guys have heard about the panic and anxiety and the... The suicides, and they're just suffering. And so Buddhism is actually very appealing to that. That's why our school, much to my chagrin, but we've kind of discarded the come together and pray. They're doing more things like let's come together and meditate. Why? Because that it's geared towards cessation of suffering, stopping your suffering. And so you'll get, here's the, the, the whole point of Buddhism is everything is suffering. We're all deteriorating. We're all getting old. We're all suffering. We're all hurting. And so the reason we suffer is because of our desires. We desire this or that, fame, money, a, a partner, etc. You stop your suffering by eliminating that desire. So you got to come to, like, let's say if you really want a spouse, well, just be celibate, and you won't have to worry about that. Just come to terms with celibacy, and you won't have to worry about a, a spouse, for example. And then fourth, that you eliminate all these through 
moderate and moral living, you eliminate their, uh, your suffering, what they call the Eightfold Path. But this is eight ways of being a, a good, healthy person. So that's, that's the heart and soul of Buddhism. Ultimate. What's that? Atheist. Yeah, they say they're atheists, but then they talk about gods all the time. So it's kind of an oxymoronic type of religion. Um, so you have to extinguish your desires. That's kind of what you do. And then it leads you to complete bliss. So that's the idea. So, Okay, all right. All right, should we love these people? Should we love members from other religions? You bet. That's the message of the gospel. So any of you familiar with Acts 10? This is a fellow by the name of Cornelius. That's right. He's a centurion in the Italian regiment. So he was a Roman Catholic. No, I'm kidding. This is before uh, Roman Catholic. Did any of you get that joke? Yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. They're, little, they're, they're quick on the uptake in Nigeria, right? Yeah. So she's right with me, man. So, yeah, but he and all of his family were God-fearing. He gave generously. He prayed. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's not a Christian, obviously, but he's a good guy. One day around 3 in the afternoon, he has this vision. And uh, an angel, um, he distinctly saw an angel of God, said Cornelius. Then Peter began to speak. I, and this is a little later in the chapter. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. That's interesting, isn't it? Did you catch that? But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Could it be that if somebody doesn't know Jesus, but fears God and does what is right, could it be that that person is confined their way into God's grace? That we don't know, because we can't decide who's saved or not. This is all God's prerogative. Yeah. yeah. Is this God, says God, anybody, wish of God, or is the God of, uh, it's not good, what, yeah, good, what, what good. you're talking the way you're talking about. Well, I mean, for example, in Romans, it talks about people that, that are trying to reach out to God through the world. They're kind of looking around them, and they're, they're longing for God. So this God can be anybody. What, what, what it says, it, it, it means that... You know, what, what, I'm not, I just asked for clarification. Yeah. You're asking who, who is that God that that text is talking about? The Buddhist, the God will be the Buddha, or whatever that is. Or Hindu, the God will be Hindu God. For somebody from nowhere land, a tribal God, that God will be tribal God. And you are saying in this Bible, the interpretation is that God don't have to be God of Jesus. Yeah, we, we don't know who, who it is. We don't know if somebody... We don't know who. Yeah, I don't know who who that God is in this but case. I always read that's Je Jehovah. Jehovah God. But you you say this God in this place could mean somebody else. Yeah, that, that I don't know because if they don't know Him, if they don't know Him, if nobody's ever come and said, "Oh, there's this God named Yahweh, and he he's from the he's from Israel." If they never, they don't know anything about that. They're just reaching out for God. They're crying out to God, but they they've never been to the Middle East. They've never been to uh, Israel. You know that that nobody from Israel ever came to them. They they're just they're reaching out towards God. Yeah, yeah, to something, and that's where I think it says that there people are in Romans. It says people reaching out to God because of the things that are made. So they're looking at the planets. They're looking at the stars. They're saying, God, who are you? Could be a Roman God. He's praying to a Mormon God. A Roman God. Oh, to a Roman God. Yeah, 
Yeah, probably. Yeah, or, I mean, it's possible that he, you know, he's starting, maybe he heard about Jehovah. It's possible. So, but yeah, I, that's what I said in the earlier about the exclusivist, inclusivist, and, and pluralist. Christians differ on all this. Okay, so, another question we'd like to address really is this. Because we like to put ourselves in a box. And I would like, if you have a few minutes, why God give all kind of religion to different people? I believe God gives them the, all those religions. It's not like uh, devil gives them. Yeah. I think yeah. God gives it to them because God is much bigger than the devil. Yeah. yeah. I, like I, I have I have encountered religions that I thought were kind of inherently bad. For example, I just did a study. I have a book coming out on American Christianity today. If you've ever done, and you guys would have no reason to do this, but ever done. Uh, hardcore research on the early Mormon community. It's 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 ugly. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's one of the things I like to address that is really because it's this God loves everybody. Just yep. like I love my kids. Yep. I would not give them something that's harmful to them. Yeah. Yeah. So I would not think God would give you something harmful to a people. Yeah. Because they all come from the same place. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to have to wrap up. So here's, I want to wrap up with this. These, this is um, Roy's father. They came to Christ, uh, Hindu family. Somebody came along and started talking about this guy that came from heaven that's the son. They said, well, who's this mom? Well, there's no mom, there's just a son. And they become Christians over time. Somebody took the time to go to India and to explain to these people who, uh, who the creator is. And Roy's father, who just passed away a few years ago, is this guy right here named Dylan. And this is the last scene I'm going to leave you with. And this is my brother here, Roy, and he's baptizing people. So who converted to Christianity? Your, your grandfather, right? Yes. My your grandfather converted to Christianity. Great grandfather. And so look at the legacy that's now being passed on. I know this is not a missions class, but I think that's where it does end, is that we not only love other people, but we also bring them the gospel because this is what can come out of that. Thank you. <laughs> if you're interested in India, talk to my friend Roy. God bless everyone. Thanks for coming to my class. Roy Knight, Roy Knight. Look that much. That's funny, you got the same last name. <laughs>